has been able to stay in that place while the world moves along, while sense sense contact touches, thoughts and ideas come up, has been able to stay there, where it gets pushed down, depressed by sense contact and thoughts and events and feelings, or lunges out to try to find the right one to pick us up. And so you know, settling back is quite a profound thing because it implies not just that one's you know, willing to, to try a different modality but also there is something else to go to apart from up and down. There is a, there is a place to go to which is not, which is not come through reaching out nor has it come through the sinking down. It's a level place and uh, you know, I call it a place, I call it a tone or tonality when one's attention is level, even, spread out. Um, it, uh, it has this uh, a kind of quality of, of, of attention which is open and not hungry, not fear of confidence. So <coughs> these, of course, you know, this in itself is, is uh, one would say this is a, not just a, kind of prerequisite to, to at least glimpse that or acknowledge that possibility we all have and then to to work out how how is it sustained? How do we not just glimpse that or touch into it occasionally, how do we sustain that and stay there and be there? Is this the right place to be? You know, is it possible to be there? Uh, what kind of energy comes from there we may feel we have things to do both in our meditation practice and our lives and what we're doing can we have energy from a place that settles back mm-hmm. so that sometimes the, the, the conundrum of the of, of you know, viveka is, is withdrawal or a sort of um, aloofness is that it doesn't seem to be able to actually you know, have energy in that particular place. You know, all the energy seems to be saying, get me out of here, or, or get away from all this. But in the settled back state, then the energy is softer, but it is present. You know, it's just like what we feel like when we're at rest, not asleep, but still. And to me, this um, very what what can come up from that is aspiration. Like may may this be this way? Not this has got to be like that, or I can't stand this, or I'm going to make it this way. But just that sense of from that settled back place, may things be well. You know? um, may 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 you know, may the sense of something more prayerful, if you like. Mm-hmm. or an inclination, an attitude towards just receiving one's bodily impressions the sensations in the body not because we are trying to make something or have something or stop something but just, just be more receptive so there is an energy there the energy that's uh, about, uh, an energy we can apply which is not overreaching not demanding, not forceful and yet because of that, it can be sustained more thoroughly. We don't just run out of juice when we go into the, the, the process of reaching out, struggling, trying to get it, holding it for a while, and then, oh, I can't manage this, and collapse. Mm-hmm. And then you go sink down again. Which is what you know, meditation can be like. So you eventually get fed up with meditating because you know, because the unpleasantness of the reaching out and the, and, the, and the getting it wrong. You know, you can reach out and strain and maybe get a bit going. And then you hear people, you know, to five, six, seven years or so, think, well, you know, I can't do this very well. You're reaching out, trying to make it into something that one has read or thought, seems like somebody else has got. It's not what you have, but something you feel you should have. Um, you know, it's, it's a wise person has it, and enlightened <coughs> beings have it, so I should have it. 
Yeah. So, and then trying and maybe getting something that seems could be on the way to it, and then maybe you know you think, oh, I think I've almost got there. And then somebody says, "Oh, no!" You meet somebody else who gives you an opinion that no, this is actually complete delusion. Clunk, you sink down again. You know, this is this is a defilement. You know, or this isn't right view, and you sink down again. Or maybe, you know, one tries to concentrate very hard and get one's <coughs> practice going and then, you know, after a little while you've got it nearly there and then something upsets you. You know, somebody says something or you see something or you hear something, you remember something, you might go completely to pieces. And you, then you, you know, the sense of having lost it and sunk down again. When you're in a depressed state, think, oh, I come out of that, this is so unpleasant, I'm going to try and rally myself to pull up get back, get to it. And, you know, how long does one want to actually go along in that particular rhythm? Reaching out and falling down. Reaching out, falling down. Because we fall down, we reach out. As we reach out, we can't quite hold it and we fall down again. So, you know, very often people oh, I can't, why meditate? It's so painful to go through this process of it. How long can one's sense of dedication or faith continue? Well, I think this is very unfortunate that actually, you know, you, you, people who've given up on things like anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, because they just can't bear to go through all that again, you know, or any formal practice, because they just can't bear to go through that. So it's, you know, you say, well, what do you practice? Oh, just being. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, because uh, perhaps at least, in, you know, maybe that's a place where one can actually come into settling back and how important it is to find that but my feeling is that one can one should actually begin there or at least try to begin there or work around to, to finding that place and then you know, feel that one can actually uh, you know, direct that quality of, of tonal openness evenness you know, sort of flexibility of attention into breathing, into body, so one, one finds that, that this, this very conventional system, the body, and this conventional system of the thinking mind and the emotions are actually suffused with the blessing of Dhamma. So that, that, it, it, so that the Vaker and Way can unite the um, what we might feel as the transcendent experience into this conventional one. What we feel is the, the sense of that in the body, the sense of that in the heart, the sense of that in the mind. Mm. So, <coughs> establishing this, sometimes it's just, I feel like, actually working around the theme of the of kusala, wholesomeness. Mm and if we look at this in the reference to the precepts I think one can begin to see some of the um, obstacles there from the way that we hold these precepts and again I bring bring to mind the sense of the tonality with which one's mind holds these things so (coughs) moral standards are often in conventional life marked with um, punishment or blame, guilt, shame, command. The the moral force is outside of oneself. It's the law, Mm. or it's the parent, or it's God, or it's some kind of thing hanging over us. But it's not coming from our own will so much as from something that's not my own will. And it comes, therefore, it's experienced very much in the sense of this is what you should be. And if you hold that phrase in your mind, then, um, at least for me, what this sets up is quite a, a defended state, a contracted state. You know, I already feel that basically I'm not. So I've got to hold my, my evilness back by a should. What I should be, and that the sense comes up that if I'm not, then there'll be, you know, I'll be punished, or hurt in some way, or failure, or looked down upon. 
So the mind, the tonal quality of attention is not open or expanded, it's actually held back. And the whole mood of, the, of morality can be one of hold back or even shut down those bubbling passionate moods and feelings. Shut them down, hold it back uh, from some because of an external agency. Rather say than um, you know, when we're contemplating it more from a, from a contemplative viewpoint, then the tone of hmm, may I be, may I not harm others? May I not, may I not harm others? May I not abuse others? May I not abuse others' kindness? May I not abuse others' minds? May I not abuse other people's bodies? May I not abuse my own? That to me, the sense of the may I, rather than the you should, or I should, is totally very different. Although, in terms of behaviour, we may be seen to be doing approximately the same thing. You know, not doing this, not stealing, killing, swearing, cursing, gossiping, backbiting, sexually abusing, drinking. Yeah. But the sense of, of actually rising up to that reminded, which reminds me of what I am possible, what is possible for me, my potential to be open, to be in a state of, of free from need, malice, uh, hunger, want, spite. And that, um, where that takes me to is, is a place where I feel complete. I feel settled in myself. And this to me is, this, is what takes me to the place of Viveka, of this settled back um, area of mind or a part. So it's come from my own will. You know, I may have got the suggestions from others, like, well, what about this? Do you think this is really good? How do you think other people feel about that? Hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. Hmm. Well, don't like that. I'm going to do this. You know, I feel better like that. And so that the more one consciously comprehends and contemplates uh, moral standards and ethical norms, you know, the feeling for it, what 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 it what it's trying to do for oneself or for others, then, to my mind, one's will, my will, lifts up into that and finds a, a place where I feel very settled in that. So as I've begun to contemplate, you know, if I do this, then other another person will experience this quality of pain, distress, mistrust, fear, grief, anger, or I will experience this. Yeah, what will come back to me. And contemplating then the the, um, you know, the the moral qualities, the moral essence of it. Now, as a, as a contemplative, and certainly using the more evolved training standards of a summoner. You know, one can do a, there's a lot more there. Mm. Yeah. Right, not just sexual misconduct, but actually complete sexual abstinence. Um, not just not taking what's not given, really having to allow things to be freely offered, not hinting or wheedling or you know, storing things up. Really trying to, to live in a state where one's open. Yeah. And some of these, which are not really moral, you know, in a harmful way, but actually more um, you know, conventional for for deepening and enriching one's settledness. You know. they, 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 if they're approaching the right way, they they hold one and highlight the state of settledness. If you can recognise, for example, sexuality, even when this is done in a wholesome basis, certainly energetically not a, say it's a settled state, it's an aroused state. 
it's a state uh, of excitement, arousal, so forth. Um, and in that, in that, one can get it wrong. You know, the mind can get unbalanced. Um, acquisition, competitiveness, to get nice things, excitable states. And in that, we can get things wrong. We can lose our balance. We will get greedy. We will get obsessive. People will get lose perspective on what's really uh, worth treasuring. In a way, we've lost we're not staying we've lost contact with that very quiet place or that very uh, uh, settled place which is actually abundant um, if one stays with it <coughs> and as a, as a good, when one contemplates and so in this day or so of the retreat then I've just been contemplating the total quality of attention as I walk or sit or think or eat do things and what does it feel like now? Does it feel hurried? Does it feel you know, furtive? Does it feel can't be bothered? Does it feel indifferent? Does it feel lazy? Does it feel, what does it feel like? Does it feel bright and open? Or does it feel shut down? Does it feel, oh my goodness, I've got three months of this, I've got to get something going? Does it feel that? Compulsive? Does it feel something I've got to attain? Hurry up and attain something? Does it feel, oh I don't think I can attain anything? You know, depressed. What does it feel like? Uh, and then, when the thoughts are coming, like trying, oh, I've forgotten to tell so and so this, or I must remember to do that, or oh, it looks like that doesn't look so well, and it looks like that's broken. You know, what's that feel like? And just contemplating these walking up and down, sitting, thinking, eating, and so on. Uh, uh, just noticing, say, the, the tonal quality of attention when it gets um, excited, when it starts to contract, it's tightened up, or when, there's a, there's a, when it's not skillful. <coughs> feeling irritated or feeling uh, worried. Now, when you know, it's certainly establishing just a sense of being here in this place, and from uh, an aspiration point of view, from a may things be well, finding like beginning the morning for myself, getting up and then chanting, just simple chants, as a way of 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 tuning in to a to a, a, a suffusive. Uh, opening mode. Mm. Nice to be able to do it on my own rather than feel something I should be doing. Mm. Nobody's uh, just doing that. And enjoying the rhythm of chanting, the sounds of it. For the sense of just sending energy out with no particular have to and no particular anything's got to achieve anything about it. Just to allow energy to, to move out, to like open up. Uh, extend the, the sphere of the heart. That's not my chanting based upon uh, wish for compassion, kindness, uh, blessing. This for, for me, often the theme or the mood behind chanting is like that, just a bestowing blessing, bestowing goodness, may things be well. Mm. Whatever the words say, it's often of, of that nature. It's like that <coughs> <coughs> which like an energy that lifts one to a, to a place where one feels mm, I can stay here this is a good place to be <coughs> it's um, a place that doesn't is not it's open it's extended I'm not hanging on to anything it's also available to, to whatever arises in the mind the thoughts of others can be um, you know skillfully turned towards uh, compassion or kindness thoughts of myself you're so just getting the tonal quality of that. I notice that when there's a, a, a skillful uh, thought, then what arises with that is generally a quality of pleasure, a sense of oh, delight, you know, love, uh, friendliness, kindness, uh, honour, you know, a sense of oh, brightness. And then 
as the thought passes, it, the, the, the mind goes more to neutrality. So, when I talk about tonal quality, it implies both the very feeling, pleasant, neutral, or painful, and also tonality implies the very, um, if you like, the, the texture of the mind, whether the mind feels spacious or tight, for example. So, what I find with a skillful state is you get a, a pleasant feeling, and then a neutral feeling. But the neutral feeling is, is tonally very bright. So, even though it's neutral in its feeling tone, is actually, as a mental state, it's a bright, suffusive, uh, open, expanded state. It's not indifferent. So when we talk about neutrality, it doesn't mean, you know, some neutral states are, are not of that nature. Like, you mean indifferent, which means neutral, t- neutral feeling and contracted <laughs> tone. You yeah. can't be bothered, you know, like that. But, but wholesome states seem to me to come to the pleasant feeling, neutral feeling, but then the tonality of it is open, expanded, no furtiveness, no holding back, no regret here, no tension here, no worry here, no restlessness here, nice, steady, smooth, open state, Mm. good place to meditate, good basis for meditation. Then some uh, some unskillful states actually are quite pleasant. Mm-hmm. They got a pleasant kick to them. Uh, spite, for example. Why do why do people do unskillful things if they're if they're really if they're really so unpleasant? Because there is for for uh, you know there's a pleasant feeling can come with getting your own back on somebody. You know, giving them a piece of my mind. Um, yeah. There's a pleasant buzz with that. I think. But what it what it changes into is unpleasant. You get the sense of regret afterwards, and the tonality of it is tight. You can't be kind of open and spaciously spiteful. <laughs> you can't grumble and moan in a kind of in a spacious, all-embracing way. It's a kind of tight, congested, tangled, contracted tonality to it. So even though it can be pleasant to be able to kind of let it out. It, it stays contracted, it doesn't open up, and then what it moves into is unpleasant, the quality of, oh dear, regret, or defensiveness, or guilt, or furtiveness. So just contemplating the, the wholesome and the unwholesome. Yeah. And, and, and just in fact, this, you know, whether one approves them or not, it just has this effect on the nervous system. Also, when one begins to contemplate tonality, you know, rather than judging the wholesome or the unwholesome in oneself or another, just to contemplate tonality of it, you can see that it's almost like it's like physiological. So we're not coming from some kind of disembodied, you know, stance. We're actually feeling out what happens in a physiological sense. And how, of course, that's going to affect our meditation. We're going to sit in our bodies. Our bodies are all tightened up, contracted, and you know, clinging. Then it's extremely difficult and unpleasant to meditate because the body feels light and open and suffusive. Then it's very easy to meditate. Uh, But also, one can recognise because we can also get get guilty or or confused about unwholesome states. Some of them seem to be just the, the mind expressing particular physiological experiences. One feels ill and sick, so your mind gets depressed. The tonality of it goes flat. Because the tonality of the mind goes flat, it's kind of interpreted as, oh, I'm depressed, I'm fed up with this. And then, you know, if, if one doesn't constantly, doesn't understand tonality, then depressed, fed up, oh, I'm useless, oh, I don't like it, this is terrible, people don't like me here, I'm useless, I'm a waste of time, I'm really a burden on everybody, blah, 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 blah. You go like that, you know. So you can get into that, or, or whatever um, you know, one's particular channels or, or patterns are. So it can be just illness, for example, it can produce a particular tonality which is then interpreted 
by the mind emotionally in these in these ways. Because often we don't really understand um, the the the, um, you know, the wholesome unwholesome. You know, we tend to judge it. Buddha's teaching emphasizes understanding it, <coughs> contemplating it, understanding it. <coughs> it's only that that takes us to the right place. If we don't understand it, then very what will tend to come along is a view, a should be view or a shouldn't be view, which takes us to another, which takes us to a con- the same contracted place, um, same contracted tonality as unwholesome states themselves. Yeah. So you end up, even though you're doing good, you're still in a tight, contracted, should be state. So you still can't meditate when you're doing good things. And unfortunately this is what can happen, um, particularly when one's taken on discipline, training, which involves a lot of rules, a lot of you know, ethical norms and standards to handle. But one hasn't actually understood you know, very primary things like you know, what wholesomeness feels like, what unwholesomeness actually feels like and does to the mind itself. You know, we become perhaps so concerned or fearful to make sure we get it right. Uh, so then we get very tightened by a whole lot of discipline and rules and training rules and restraints. We get very tight. And we kind of assume that's, that's what it's supposed to do because that's the only way we've really ever understood um, or felt our morality. You do this, you'll get okay. If you don't, if you break this rule, you can get punished. If you if you do it right, you'll be rewarded. You know, apple, big head boy, whatever it is. Do it wrong, cane, detention, and so on. You know, or be abused by the rest of the group. So that that we tend to then approach the pra- that practice, you know, running it through the same system unconsciously. So we can get very tight about the discipline into a tight place, you can meditate and think, okay, maybe I need to just get out of all this discipline so I can actually meditate properly. <laughs> you know, so you think, well, I'll break out of all this stuff. You know, so, uh, you know, then we can either break rules and, and make excuses for it, you know, say, well, it's, it's higher practice or it's not relevant or I don't, you know, whatever, or we can disrobe. So we get a bit of free space to breathe in and out without this incredible should be corset tying us down. Mm-hmm. Or we can kind of um, fudge rules and on um, the quiet when nobody else is looking. Furtive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know all of these because we we haven't really arrived or, or used that uh, you know from a truly wise place. But I say it can be done from a, a, a settled back place. Aspiration. And you know, keeping the most important thing, the tonality of the, of the heart, tonality of the mind. And actually a lot of these rules and discipline and so forth begin to, to take to make sense and then perhaps we begin to hold them in a way where they're a little more accurately attuned to to ourselves rather than just textbook stuff and everybody have a slightly different take on on a, on a on a, a rule or a train just slightly different and that's the way it should be because we all have you know, as long as we can hold it in the right place hold it you know, properly it seems to me you know, the aim of, of any ethical training the perfection of it and so we, we use it to keep in our settled <coughs> place in a place where energies are not cl- 
clawing out, not sinking down, not held back, not pushing forward. Where there's a sense of, you know, I've got some value here that I don't want to lose and squander. <coughs> so all wholesome states are said to rest upon the sense that one does not wish to squander or, or stain one's own uh, beauty and the sense in which one does not want to uh, stain the, the, the beauty of others the goodness or the uh, shift other people out of their settled states yeah. I want you to stay in your good place and I want to stay in my good place and this will be for the benefit of all of us So this is Hiri and Otapa, and these uh, qualities, which are often, unfortunately, are translated in rather dreadful sense of fear, you know. fear of blame, fear of shame, which uh, takes me to a quite a tight place again, to contracted state again, which I, through years of meditation, I can only say I do not wish to be there. And uh, though I may slide to that, to that in that direction, I'm not going to do it willingly and consciously. <laughs> now we may not. Uh, so just recognizing, we may in fact uh, acknowledge that uh, that, that uh, quite a lot of the time we're we're quite contracted, you know, quite tight. Mind easily gets irritated or anxious or gets depressed it's, it's not got a tonal brightness to it <coughs> I said some of this can be just um, you know physiological based I remember last year uh, when I was visiting somebody in Devon and I just casually they were talking about this that and the other and then, so somebody, somebody he said he's talking about rap music so I said what's rap music what's that casual interest I thought he says oh we'll just sit there I'll plug some in and he fiddled around with his telly and he kind of produces somebody doing rap music well, rap experience with music and it's just a kind of barrage of images mostly people shaking their fists driving cars kicking things um, you know sort of loud very quick images like no image lasting more than a second or two and a half after about three minutes it's so starting to feel angry uh, so I switched it off. He switched it off. I said, "What's that? What's that about? I couldn't understand what it was about. I couldn't understand the words. It was just this kind of thumping beat, and it's kind of words. And every now and then, this person shaking his fist and pointing his finger, and somebody breaking glass, or somebody driving a car, and gangs of people looking, you know, really excited. I started to feel angry. <laughs> he said, "That's rap. That's that's it. You got it. Started <laughs> 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 to feel angry and excited." <laughs> But what about? Is it, you know, just just be there. Just takes you to that place physiologically. Uh, uh, so it took a couple of minutes just to settle down again. So I didn't have anything to be angry about, really. But it's almost like the like the <coughs> the nervous system produces the neural neural hormones that just trigger into to emotional states. And you can contemplate the unwholesome. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. This is unwholesome. It's like this, and the tonality of it. <coughs> now, very often, uh, you know, that we have a kind of residual uh, tension, body tension, when you meditate and find this quite a problem to 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 feel, feel the body. The mind just keeps spinning out because the body, the sense of our attention is quite. Um, um, you know, attention is normally just trying to grab hold of things or push things away you know, or, or requires quite strong stimulation to experience enjoyment which is quite a, you know, a good degree of stimulation that you get an enjoyment experience where the mind will begin to you know, open up and receive it the meditation doesn't, is not typically not strong stimulating experience so because of that, you know, one can begin to acknowledge, you know, attention is fairly tight, you know, just 
grabbing this, pushing it away, thoughts, it doesn't actually stay and spread over things. There's this residual contractedness. This is um, which we can, if we if we don't address that almost right in the beginning of our practice and make conscious effort to just redress that, then we can take that attention into our meditation practice and get in this cycle of strain and try to make it and then collapse. You know. Or um, some sorts of concentration you can get through the contractedness and just kind of numb out on something or hold something till your mind is held steady and still. Um, but it's very from will and effort rather than aspiration or, or something soft and expansive and enjoyable. Which is the, to me was a very you know a key concept that I, I recognized in, in the Buddha's teaching when we began to actually look at the way the Buddha taught was a strong degree of emphasis on subtle pleasant pleasant pleasure the pleasure of of a of a collected mind the pleasure of a of a devotional heart the pleasure of a rapturous attention and this being pretty key and absolutely main line for meditation. I think my meditation is not enjoyable. You know, it's, it's, I put effort into it, but I wouldn't say it's enjoyable. Oof, what is that? You know? And um, I could recognize that quite a lot of my attitudes to meditation and to monastic life came from quite a con- contracted state, which is simply speaking, um, like a, um, I call it like a stoical state. Life is suffering. Uh, you know, you want to waste the time. You know, this is painful. You've got to do your thing. Do do this and meditate and get out of here. This kind of uh, state, attitude, and mind. And you can certainly you can line up aspects of the teaching to fit in with that particular view. So I had this kind of view, really, of of, of Buddhism as a sort of way that the view that fitted in with my own contractedness. You know, I quite heavy, willful and, and quite very committed in, in, in a way you know, but, but the tonality of the mind not enjoyable. And I find particularly in community life how irritating it, it, it all is. You know, the the because in a contracted state you can't you can't embrace or encompass very much if you're in a contracted state. So you can get sort of one pointedness on a particular thing you decide you've got to do. But then, you know, the the the, the randomness of life, the you know, diversity of people, the number of opinions, the the, the chaotic tumult of events. Uh, that, that occur in a subtle way in monasteries it's irritating you just shut up and get on with the practice you know that kind of feeling and, and you know the sense in which you to shut things down actually um, so I found after a while that from being someone who's fairly I could recognise most of my mind state was quite um, you know not, not terribly uh, it was fairly impassive, you know, or phlegmatic, impassive. That's what it seemed to be. Well, then actually, I'm pretty angry. <laughs> angry and irritable. seems that the, the contracted state uh, is often uh, you know primary forms of rage and um, uh, and grief which is a depressed can't do this attitude and fear don't think I can make it don't, if anybody is it all right here you know? and all this is kind of layered over uh, and so this is what prevents us getting into a settled state. Even when we're doing wholesome things, we can't 
break through this, this layer, this tonal layer, which is all the incrustations that have occurred through basically approaching life from, from you've got to do this, you can't do that, you should do this, it won't be that, from, from being very much directed by external forces rather than one an aspiration. The result of that is that tonally one is no longer responsive, suffusive, extensive, prayerful, devotional or compassionate. And uh, so I notice things like devotional practice is just complete dead for me. Um, even things like practicing loving kindness. So I'd like to do that, but it just didn't work. You know? That was really quite upsetting. I get irritated by practicing metabolana, having to try to crank out some loving feelings. It's so irritable having to do this silly thing. Because <laughs> it was all tended to come back to that that thing of this is what you should do. You should feel this. You know, and you should be like this. So it's always taken, coming back to the same contracted tonality of attention. I was going to contemplate that. I felt, you know, what seemed to be first of all just, you know, indifference or, um, you know, impassiveness is actually, you know, rage <laughs> and uh, grief. Not a feeling of, oh, it's all hopeless, I can't do this, it's the point of trying. The world is terribly painful and it hurts so much that I don't actually want to touch it anymore, it's just too hurtful. So I just seal it off. Um, but the, as I'm certainly beginning to you know, d- develop the Dhamma practices, then to feel, actually acknowledge rather awkwardly, I'm really quite excitable, passionate, irritable person. <laughs> With a lot of, you know, grief and sadness and emotions churning around that didn't, that never thought existed. Uh, but then, actually, without not needing to have to express them all, although sometimes they do get expressed, just contemplating, uh, being able to feel the movement of the grumpiness, shortness, not necessarily flaming rage, but kind of short, impatient quality. You know, the tone of it. Now, you know, can I actually find a place where from behind that, you know, if I acknowledge that, if my awareness can acknowledge that, then almost immediately what comes up from that is a sense of compassion or forgiveness, or it doesn't necessarily have a word, but something that softens and my attention seems to drop back into a place where it's settled again. Yeah. So being able to handle the unwholesome, and the, the, uh, even when it comes to these things which are, you know, these inner turbulences, yeah. coming out of the frozen up state into this rather volatile territory, being actually this is this is very okay, you know, when one's trying to be moral and virtuous and steady and serene and stable and so forth, yeah, this is a good long-term aim, you know, but we have to, f- we have to find a way in which we, we as we, we come to that, not by shutting up, shutting down, being held, but <coughs> in a place that's, that's open and free, a place where it's just really true and loving in ourselves. And often the barrier to that is this very this unresolved area of our compactedness, of our defence, and our fear, and our irritability. You know, you know. Now, can I take you know my power to be angry? Can I just take that you know, back, rather than have to push it out onto things, rather than waste my energy? 
So I'll just take that back. Mm. Then it's vigor. Quality of, of, of grief and depression. Can I take that back? So it becomes the essence, essential quality of tenderness. Mm. And fear becomes the essential quality of concern, moral concern, the for itself. In essence, these are not, once we can move by, by approaching these from a settled place, rather than a view place, rather than from a, you should be this and you shouldn't be that place, then they, they, they heal themselves and they actually become, these very wounded energies become attributes that enhance and enrich our settled state. So the settled state is not kind of anaesthetized, but, but potent and rich. And the more that one begins to digest and dissolve one's accumulations back into this place, then the more powerful one's, one's stamina, one's, the more far-reaching one's heart can go, one's awareness can go, and the more the less effort is required. You realize this is actually the natural state, is settledness and the natural boundary of that is vast. Mm. <coughs> so I offer this for your reflection. <coughs> <coughs> um,